Mindfulness Mode 387. I wasn't worried about getting hit by a car. I was worried about, well, what's this going to do to my week and a half in New York? Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here in today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. I hope you're having a little break, Mindful Tribe. If, if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you've had a good one. And in general, I just hope you're having a good, relaxing break. And I also hope that you haven't missed an episode of Mindfulness Mode you know, I noticed there was a glitch with my last episode on some apps. So if you didn't get it on time, I apologize. I've gone back and refreshed the feed so that last episode is there. Once again, I thank you, Mindful Tribe, for all you do to support the show. Oh, and I just wanted to mention, if you're thinking about publishing a podcast, Podbean is a terrific host. Podbean is my host. It's built specifically for podcasters. It's been around about 10 years and the pricing is super competitive. It's $9 a month no matter how much content you upload and they have great stats as well so you can see how many downloads you're getting on your episodes. You can help support Mindfulness Mode and get a month of free hosting with my affiliate link. Just go to podbean.com slash podbeanmm, standing for Mindfulness Mode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever thought about what it would be like to be blind and how you could continue to be creative and productive without feeling sorry for yourself, just moving forward? Well, today's episode is insight into that world. My guest made some powerful decisions to be a strong, confident creator in spite of his blindness and to never have that victim mentality. He lives a life of mindfulness and he helps others do the same. I just want to share a little bit about my guest today. Maxwell Ivey is a personal coach and teacher who through his many challenges motivates others through theirs. He was born into a family of carnival owners in Texas and at age 12 permanently lost his eyesight. Having a natural gusto for life, Max graduated college and became heavily involved in the Eagle Scouts. He also worked in the family business alongside brothers until his father succumbed to lung cancer. Faced with his own mortality, Max made some life-altering changes. He underwent gastric surgery and lost over 250 pounds. Wow. He started his own business, buying and selling amusement rides, and learned how to blog using software for visually impaired people. Max then made a name for himself online as the Blind Blogger. Mindful Tribe, sit back, relax, and I'm sure you're totally going to enjoy today's episode with Max. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have a fantastic guest here. I'm super excited about talking to him and finding out about his life's journey. I have Maxwell Ivy with me today. Hey, Max, are you in mindfulness mode today? I think I'm pretty much always in mindfulness mode, um, and especially when I'm doing an interview. I find that the, the best way to have a great conversation is just to be totally invested uh, to be focusing on what they're saying and what they're meaning and do my best to give them uh, my honest, uh, heartfelt responses to their questions. Well, that's great. I'm really excited to to talk with you about all of this today. And uh, 
you know, I've been uh, looking forward to this for quite a while. And, you know, um, you've written quite a few interesting books and one of them is about your weight loss journey. You you lost a lot of weight and I'm interested in how you actually got started on that weight loss journey. Was it just a moment where you made the decision to lose the weight or did it take a long time of searching, researching, asking people about how to do it? Uh, well, actually, my weight loss was not something that I thought was ever going to happen because I've always been uh, fat and just in some parts of my life, I've even been what they would call morbidly obese. I weighed over 600 pounds at one point. Wow. Um, but what happened was, is, is we were traveling, still traveling with the family carnival and I almost got thrown out of a motel in Port Lavaca, Texas because I was uh, urinating on the bed linen. And so I went to a doctor, and the doctor said, Mr. Ivy, you need to change your life, or you're not going to be around much longer. So I went home that winter and saw, got, got, got with a good primary care doctor who, uh, you know, put me on high blood pressure and cholesterol and a bunch of other medicine to start with. But the, then she's like, Max, I don't want you to be on this medicine forever. So the first thing I want you to do is to be tested for sleep apnea, because I believe you have it. I believe you have a pretty severe case. So I was tested did the sleep study, got the CPAP. And it was actually after I got the CPAP and started getting more quality sleep and quality rest that I started thinking, okay, Max, you don't necessarily have to be a carny for the rest of your life. There are a lot of things you could do, or at least there ought to be a lot of things you can do. So what can you do and how do you get from here to there? So the getting sleep made me, gave me my passion and drive and curiosity back. And then a year or two later, my doctor's like, Max, I know you've been working hard to lose the weight, but it's not working. I want to know if you would at least go to a seminar on gastric surgery. And I went, and I didn't feel like they would say anything that would get me to want to have it. But they said one very important thing. I'm one of these people, if you tell me I have to work, if you tell me it's going to be hard, I'm more likely to believe you. And at the seminar, they said only 50% of the people who have a gastric surgery will lose 90% of the weight they need to because it's just one tool among many. And then without changing your lifestyle quite a bit to go along with the surgery, it won't be effective for you long term. And that there are actually people who will gain the weight back and then some or who will even gain weight after they've had like the bands or, or the you know, or the, some of the less invasive gastric surgeries. So right. I went through the, the classes of the nutritionists and, uh, I just kept track of everything they were telling me and everything I learned and, and, um, put in some things that I had learned previously earlier in life and I didn't learn from them. And, and, you know, it became the book. It's not the cookie, it's the bag. And, uh, I was very happy to share all of that. It's not been my most uh, successful book as far as sales go, but I've had some very uh, uh, reviews that, you know, just really touched me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I would Im imagine that losing all that weight requires quite a bit of mindfulness. So what does mindfulness mean in your life? What does it mean to you, Max? Uh, to me, it means uh, being uh, in the moment, uh, being focused on what you're doing today, if not even down to this minute or this second. Um, I like to tell people a lot of times I am not 
uh, as afraid of things as other people are because I'm so focused on the experience itself that there just really isn't room in my head to get to be to be scared. So it's really just uh, focusing down, paying attention, enjoying and and savoring every experience, even the bad ones. Right. Well, and so with your weight loss, it sounds like you were able to do it. You just looked at it one step at a time until you finally got to this point where, well, I read that you are a lean, mean machine. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive. Uh, I would like to know who wrote that because at 6'4 and, two, and 260, uh, you're, you're never really small, you know. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, – very healthy. I'm, I'm very glad of that. And, um, you know, now that, uh, I've been, I've been working with a stylist. I've, I've been blessed to be, to be the beneficiary of some, some new clothes from some friends and also from the, the people at Robert Graham Designs sent me a new suit coat, which I was very happy to get that. And, uh, so the, the package is coming along, you know, think about it. Went from, accepting that I was no longer a carnival owner to trying to do something else, uh, being treated for apnea, losing weight, uh, appreciating that my personal appearance matters as an author and speaker, changing my clothes, getting my hair dyed, which that was, that was actually kind of scary. That was one of the scariest things I've done, getting my hair dyed, because I can't see the end product and I got no way of knowing if these people are putting a color on there that I like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Uh, to me, that was scarier than getting on a train and going cross country by myself because, you know, at least I, I had some way of knowing if the, if the journey was going well or not. But when you let somebody put dye in your hair, it's like, how do I know it ain't going to be pink and green and orange or something? <laughs> I can imagine that would be scary. Well, your hair looks great. It looks natural. Yeah. But wow, what an undertaking to decide to go to New York City on your own and just just make a go of it when you were, you know, when you're blind, when you can't see. And then you wrote a book about it called The Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures. That must have been pretty darn scary at times, was it? Well, there were there were a few times when it was kind of scary, um, but you know it's, it's one of those things. I did uh, try to get, <clears throat> I did ask around to see if anybody wanted to go with me, but nobody did. Um, oh, yeah. People either had jobs or school or didn't want to be away from their family during the holidays. So I went by myself, and of course, after I left, I realized, well, you know, it wouldn't have been as good a story if somebody had said, "Yeah, I want to go with you." True. Um, but like, the, but like the first day I got there, I was was walking with somebody towards the apartment I was going to be staying at. Yeah. And my foot slid off a curb, and I landed on my face in the street. Thankfully, there were no cars coming, but I sprained my ankle, and I was thinking as I walked to the apartment, this would be great if I got all the way to New York City and then had to spend the the first day in an emergency room or the next week with my foot up with yeah. ice on it or something. Yeah. But, you know, but I took my Tylenol and I elevated my foot and I rested it for two days and it was fine. But still, it was one of those things where it's not so much scary. And, you know, I wasn't even worried about, I wasn't worried about getting hit by a car. I was worried about, well, what's this going to do to my week and a half in New York? Right. And did you take the subway? Yeah, I took the subway, the bus, the ferry. And there was one time I got 
uh, I got a little nervous in the subway because I was going to step onto a train and another train came into this uh, station and the, the noise was so loud that somehow I ended up turned around and stepping off the train. I was already halfway on. So, uh -huh. so there are times in New, in a place like New York where if you're blind, you have absolutely no audio because the noise is just so loud. You cannot hear anything, you know, and thankfully I ended up back on the, the pavement or the, the, the flooring in the, in the, in the station. And I waited an hour for the next train. Wow. And did you often ask people to help you? Oh, I, I, I asked, I ask every, all the time, I, you know, asking for, for help is, is one of my things. I'm actually known for, uh, somebody recently posted on Twitter with the hashtag ask for you, you know, but, uh, I personally believe that one of the biggest, one of the biggest, uh, roadblocks to a lot of people's success is they are ingrained they're trained not to ask for help and so i go around thinking you know if i don't ask for help if i refuse to ask i'm robbing the other person of the joy they would have got from helping me so i'm always asking sometimes it's verbally sometimes i go hey can somebody tell me where i've got to get to and sometimes you just stand there with your cane and a smile and you look lost and somebody will come up and they'll ask, well, do you need help? And then you go, sure, I need help. Um, I like to say that I traveled all over New York City going from the shoulder of one person to the shoulder of another person and never got lost the whole time I was there. Wow, that's great. And who is the most memorable person who did help you in New York City? Uh, most memorable person who did help me. Well, um, one of the people who lived in the apartment I was staying in, I was using Airbnb, um, Mark, and I promised him I wouldn't mention his last name because he's worried about. He's worried that if he got mentioned in the in a book or a, he might end up might end up hurting him at his job. But um, when I sprained my ankle, he volunteered to go grocery shopping and make sure that I would have food for the first couple of days, and then he took me uh, out to walk me around Times Square and. And some of the best pictures that I have in the book came from photos he took. You know, some of them wouldn't have been my selection. I mean, standing in front of a strip joint and a peep show, those wouldn't have been my choices, but he had the camera. Right. Uh, so I would say, you know, he was, he was one of them. And then I was very fortunate to meet one of my uh, blogging heroes while I was in New York City, uh, Ryan Bedolf, who's known as the blogger from Paradise. He just happened to be in New York City and... We've known each other for a long time, exchanged emails, and I got to spend a couple hours with him talking about, and we we talked for two hours about mindset and energy and law of attraction. Just had the kind of conversation when it's over with, you feel like it's lasted two minutes, and you're like, well, why do you have to go? You know, just amazing conversation we had. Um, the weather kept us from having it at Central Park but, or having, having yogurt, but we had a great conversation over some really good tea. Well, that's great. Well, what do you believe about the, the law of attraction? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I believe whether you call it prayer or the law of attraction or just asking for what you need, it comes down to putting out into the world what it is that you need, what you want, as opposed to you know, concentrating on the things that you don't want or that you hate. It's focusing on the things that you want and need in your life. And, you know, earlier I mentioned my stylist. Yeah. I, had been, I had been saying for a long time, I'll get my hair cut 
when somebody comes up to me who knows what they're doing so that I don't end up with a burr or a buzz or a mullet or so, and and I'm giving a talk at the Foundation Fighting Blindness and this, you know, really energetic young woman walks up to me afterwards. And the next thing I know, um, I'm helping her get her uh, get, get some videos online and get exposure for her business. And she's decided to just basically give me a whole new look. And that's a you know, perfect example of the law of attraction. I said, here's what I want. And when I get it, I will put myself completely in their hands. And it's worked out really well. Um, there's a few years ago when I went to New York City, before I went, I didn't have the money to go. I didn't even have the money to pay for the apartment because Amtrak only pays for the transportation. Right. Um, and so I kept saying, okay, the money is going to show up. I know it'll come from somewhere. I just don't know where yet. And one of the events we used to provide the carnival rides for called my mom and said, you know, the other carnival has backed out on us. We need somebody. Can you get us somebody? And my mom called some friends of ours here in Houston who were available. They took the rides over there, did the event, uh, paid my mom a referral fee and gave her more money than she had ever received from any other carnival owner for booking them into an event. And then we not only had money for, uh, for, for Christmas here at home, but they had money to pay for my apartment rent and, you know, some of the money towards while I would be in New York city. Wow. What a great story. Yeah. The law of attraction is pretty amazing. And I think so many of us make the law of attraction work negatively because like you say, we can be so focused on the negative, what we don't want. And then we just create more of it. Yeah. We magnify that negative energy to the point where it seems like the world is just raining and pouring bad news on us. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk about your coaching because I know that you coach people and you say that you can tell whether they're genuine, you can tell what they're moving toward and what they're bringing toward them in their life. How do you do that with other people? Well, I think one of the best the best assets I have in the area of coaching is that I am not uh, deceived or fooled so much by the, what what we can see from other people. Um, right. As my good friend Joe Pardo likes to say, he may not Max may not be able to see with his eyes, but uh, he sees he 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 opens he opens the eyes of everyone around him. So, in a lot of cases, I will uh, recognize the stories that people are telling them as either not truthful or not helpful. And, you know, and work with them from there. I, I've noticed that one of the biggest problems people have is that they are chasing other people's dreams or they're using other people's definition of success for their dreams. And so, so people don't always know what they truly want then. That, or they know it, but they have, um, they've gone after something else because other people in their life have told them that they would be good at it or that it would be more profitable or more acceptable than maybe what it is that they really want to do. We've heard lots of stories about people who get to be 50 or 60 years old and they, they finally feel freedom to go and paint or sail or golf or, or even cook, even, you know, become a chef. So it's, uh, a lot of people have to feel that freedom and one of the to to go after their real heart's desires opposed to 
what they were raised to think they should be doing or what their friends and family or what the internet or the news is telling them they should be doing. I mean, how many people do you think we have who right now feel like a failure because they've started a blog or a podcast and they're not the top 100 on iTunes within six months or three months or a year, you know, they're thousands, thousands uh, of people feel that way. They get disappointed, upset, disgusted, frustrated because they're not making that success that other people see as success and they're not making it as quick as they would like to, you know? And I still, I, I am a coach. I often feel like I do most of my coaching by example rather than a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And so I've actually had to take some of my own advice, which is, Max, are you, is coaching, you know, your heart's desire or is it something you do because other people thought you'd be good at it? And I am good at it, but most people do not really want me to hire me as their coach. What they want and what I've found that I, I do really good is I put people in connection with, uh, with hosts of podcasts and radio shows, uh, blogs, even some TV shows, so they can share their stories and get more exposure for what they're doing and grow their businesses. And it's turned out to be, you know, the, the former Carney kid, the guy who used to do the bookings for the Midway, the promoter, the guy who has no problem asking for what he wants, whether it be over the phone, email, or, or through Law of Attraction, um, a lot of people are afraid to ask for the things they need. So I've become that guy who will put them out there and get them on TV and radio and let them share their stories and grow their coaching businesses or their blogs or podcasts. And I'll tell you, I get a lot of satisfaction from it. And I'm, I've also learned that I'm doing some like subliminal coaching while I'm helping them because like my first client in the online media work, uh, the, when I first talked to her, she didn't think anybody wanted to hear her story that nobody would want to have her on an interview. And I convinced her that not only would they want to, but they, that she needed to. And then just recently she's gotten to the point where she's an attorney and she didn't feel like people would hire her as an attorney if they knew she was an author. And so we finally got her past that block to where she's now had a book signing in her home city of Rio and she's done media appearances down there. And, uh, she's even had her book published in Portuguese. So now there's no reason anybody there doesn't know who she is or that she's an author of award-winning internationally successful books in the legal thrower genre. So I get to do some coaching at the same time because a lot of people, no matter how good their story is, they don't believe that their story is good enough that people will want them to tell it. Wow. That's, that's uh, such a problem with people. I mean, it, it boils down to confidence in a lot of ways, doesn't it? I think it boils down to confidence, but I think a lot of it is also comparison. They look at some of the people who are making the rounds on the TV shows or the top podcasts and they go, that person has a better story than I do. There's no way anybody would want me to share my story because they've got people like that. And I'll share an example of my own. I used to, I never had this problem as far as podcasts or radio shows, or if I had the problem, I went, I went ahead and sent, I've got, I went ahead and sent out the emails anyway. But, you know, some of my, the people I admire who are also visually impaired are Eric, like Eric Wehmeyer, the adventurer who's climbed the Seven Summits, or Rachel Skidoris, who's raced the Iditarod. And I would sometimes look at these people and go, now those people have stories. But 
as I continue to do this more for myself and others, I look around and I go, those guys got better stories, but you hardly ever see them on the top podcasts or on TV talk shows. And I don't know if it's because they don't think they need to share their stories, which is a shame if that's the case, because the world needs us all to share our stories. Or if they just don't realize that you've got to ask, you got to put yourself out there. And, you know, I've become known as the blind blogger, even though I'm not the only blind blogger. I'm not the best, the most consistent, or the most talented. But I am the most shameless at putting myself out there and asking people to say, hey, hey, you need to talk to me on your show. Well, you now have your podcast, No Excuses. What's your podcast called exactly? Right. It's called What's Your Excuse? Right. And it's about transformation and how people become the person they end up being. And it's uh, it's about storytelling. I want people to, co- to come on and share their stories and inspire and motivate my audience. And hopefully by the end of the show, they'll have the, the viewers or the listeners asking themselves, well, if, if Max can do it, if his guests can do it, then what's my excuse? Yeah, I think that's very cool because – because it's true, you set up for New York City and you just did it. You made it happen, even though you had challenges. And, you know, those of us who can see, you know, it's true. Sometimes we come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't achieve things. And and actually, if we take it one step at a time and we know what we're trying to achieve, we can achieve way more than we expect to. Way more. So uh, I always ask a question about bullying, Max, uh, because I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years. Were you ever bullied or do you have a story? Maybe you bullied someone else. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I was I was once bullied for a short time. My parents relocated me to a different school district. But in uh, my my father worked construction, so sometimes uh, before he was in the carnival business. So sometimes we were in Texas, and sometimes we were in South Carolina. And for a short time, I went to a school where uh, I was made fun of a bit because of my weight. And there was one day where uh, I didn't realize they were being mean until after it was over with. But um, they the other kids got me to sit on one end of a seesaw and. Then they wanted to see how many kids it would take on the other end to make it go up and down. And I think it ended up being like six or seven kids. Yeah. And at the time it was funny, but later on my parents were not happy. So I realized that this was not a funny thing. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, they uh, decided to move me to a different school at that point. And whenever we lived in Texas uh, in, in spring, which is where my family is from, I hardly ever had trouble with that because my grandfather had moved all of his family out to this, what was the country at that time. And so if you went to, you know, if you went to school with the Ivies, you also went to school with the Wagners, the Servers, the Crouches. So if they mess with one of us, they had to mess with all of us. Right. So, so you kind of got through it reasonably well. Did you lose, did you lose your sight? Like all of a sudden, or was it a gradual process when you were 12 years old? Uh, It started gradually when I was four or five, and then I had a big drop-off when I was 12 or 13 to the point where I had to start using a white cane and uh, reading books on tape and learning to read Braille. And even that was okay because at my school, the, uh, the people who were teaching those things found ways to make them fun and, uh, 
at least once, if not twice a week, I would get out of class to go learn things that I would need to know that the rest of them didn't need to know. So it wasn't a bad deal as far as I was concerned at the time. Right. I guess that goes, goes, I guess that goes back to how you look at things because I know a lot of blind people who fought the idea of using a cane who felt embarrassed or, or were teased about it. But, you know, uh, there again, I, I, even in junior high school, I was one of the biggest kids. So, and there were a lot of other family members in the same school. So maybe people didn't uh, bother me who would have in, in different circumstances. Well, I certainly appreciate what you've achieved in your life, you know, becoming a coach and being an author now of your fourth book. I know, uh, uh, listeners, you can check out Maxwell Ivy uh, at his website, and his website is theblindblogger.net. So check that out because he's so inspirational. And uh, we'll just go over your books. But the first thing, I, I just want to move on into some quick answer questions, right. if I could. And the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced you with your mindfulness in your life? I would say uh, Adrian Smith, who's a blogger I met about five years ago online. I refer to her as my blogging mama because she's taught me pretty much everything I know about relationship building online. Well, that's great. Um, number two, how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Max? Well, I am generally thought of as somebody who doesn't care because people don't realize that my approach is not, uh, is not that I'm not affected, but it's that I am focused on things that are more important to me or that are more important at the moment. And some things that just totally, you know, ruin everybody else's day just don't bother me. I mean, a uh, perfect example is the number of people who have lost focus over the elections. To me, I just have a good laugh at all of that stuff and go about my work. Good for you. Uh, how is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? You know, I don't, focus all that much on breathing but as somebody who likes to sing i notice that uh when i'm singing that that helps me uh helps me think helps me focus and i like to refer to it as one of my ways of what i call modern meditation right and and you were singing when i first uh clicked on our connection so it was great to hear you singing and i'm i'm hoping you'll sing a song for sure, us in a minute or sure. two if but, you could recommend a book on mindfulness what would that be um, one of my, uh, I've got two books that I really love in this area. They weren't specifically for for mindful, for mindfulness, but I think they both apply. Uh, one is the adversity advantage by uh, Eric Wehamir, who I mentioned earlier, but the book is much more about, uh, mindfulness than it is about his adventures. And it's my favorite book of all the books he's written. And then the other is big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert from the eat, pray, love fame. And if you want a book as an author to read that will help you with your mindset, there is no better book for authors than uh, than um, uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And I want to mention your books, Leading You Out of the Darkness into Light. is I think that's the first book you wrote, that's isn't the it? the first one, yeah. And then there's It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag. Right. And then there's the, New York, the Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures. And then there will be a fourth book soon now that I have finally f figured out the ending, which you wouldn't think a nonfiction author would have to figure out the ending, but every, every so often it happens. 
Yeah. And do you have a title for that book yet? Um, no, I don't. All, all I know is that it will be something along the line of the Blind Blockers Continuing Adventures. Right. Or something like that, because it is about my uh, my travels as a speaker and an author. And uh, part of that book is about how I just decided to enjoy spending some time with family when an, an event fell through and some of the great things that happened because I didn't go, well, crud, I can't do what I was going to do. I can't do what I had planned. You know, instead I was like, got some time with people I ain't seen in 30 years. Let's just enjoy this and see what happens. Great. Great. What are you going to sing for us, Max? Well, I like to, I, I, I only have about three or four songs that I sing. I keep wanting to, to, to come up with something new, but I think I'm going to do the one I was singing at the beginning because I think it, uh, I think it's, it has a, I think it has a good message for your show because it's a, or at least it has a message for me because it's about how we aren't meant to do this all by ourselves. And that if we ask for, help or allow other people to help, we can make more progress. So to me, it's an important song. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear it. All righty. Frank and Mama counted on each other. Their one and only weakness made them strong. Mama did the driving for the family. And Frank made a living with a song. Almost just a camp along the highway. A pickup bed was where we bedded down. I don't ever once remember going hungry, but I remember Mama cooking on the ground. And Daddy Frank played the guitar and the French harp. Sister played the ringing tambourine. Mama couldn't hear our pretty music. She read our lips and helped the family sing. That little band was all part of living. And our only means of living at the time. And it wasn't like no normal family combo. Cause Daddy Frank, the guitar man, was blind. Don't recall just how they got acquainted. Don't recall just how they came to be. It must have took some special help from someone. And blessed be the one who let it be. Fever caused my mama's loss of hearing. Daddy Frank was born without his sight. And mama needed someone she could lean on. And I believe the guitar man was right. And daddy Frank played the guitar and the French harp. Sister played the ringing tambourine. And mama couldn't hear our pretty music. She read our lips and helped the family sing. That little band was all part of living and our only means of living at the time. And it wasn't like no normal family combo cause Daddy Frank, the guitar man, was blind. Well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing that message and for sharing the message of mindfulness that you live every day because that's obvious that you... You have a great positive attitude and you've got this 
belief that you can do the things you decide to do and you just move forward and do them. So I'm very impressed with what you've achieved, Max. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, uh, it isn't always, it doesn't always turn out the way I want it to. Sometimes I need more help than other times, but I like what you said there. And it's something that I'm starting to, it's people are either saying it more or I'm hearing it more. And I'm, as a, as a coach, I'm sure you know this. Sometimes you can say it a hundred times, but the person doesn't actually hear it the way they need to. Yes. The thing I've been hearing lately is Max, you've just find a way to make it happen. Yeah, well, I I really appreciate that that you you do you seem to move forward and and I mean look at your your image your visual image you know you look great with your with your shirt and tie and you know I saw you on YouTube with some of your other outfits and and everything <laughs> I'm like it's really cool you know it's really cool that you made an effort you put that out there and you thought I'm going to up my image and you did it and it, you made it happen and you put that intention out there and that's why it happened. Right. And as my, as, as Chelsea Nguyen of uh, C and vision image likes to remind me, Max, this is just an extension of your brand. And I, I asked her, what do you mean? She's like, Max, you're basically saying that if Max can look this good, then what is anybody else's excuse for not looking their best? And I'm like, Hey, I like the way you did that. That makes, you know, it's uh it's nice when other people will will help you just, you know, make things all work with your brand like that, which there again, you know, forget about style. Up until a few years ago, I really didn't understand that I was a brand. I mean, and being a brand and an influencer and all that sort of stuff, that's that's a little hard for me to get it, get my brain around still, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, Mindful Tribe, if you're listening and you think, you know, I would love to get my life on track. I would love to have a little help with that. Reach out to Maxwell Ivy. You can go to theblindblogger.net and there's a, a way to connect with him right through that website. And I highly recommend you do that today because he's a guy that has intuition. He can help you. He can he can tell where you are hoping to go and he can help you get there. So thanks very much for being on the show today, Max. Well, thank you for having me. I always like to make sure the host knows just how much I appreciate this because uh, I understand that you put a lot of time and effort into this and uh, for the most part, most podcast hosts are doing it out of passion or a sense of obligation to help people like me share their stories. Most have no intent of making it, making it a career or getting rich from it, but they still show up every day and do their work. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for your kind words. All the best to you. Bye now, Max. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. 
And remember, if you're thinking of launching your own podcast, you can get a free month at Podbean with its awesome pricing and fantastic stats. Uh, you can just do that by going to podbean.com slash podbean mm standing for mindfulness mode so remember subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode